Hey everybody, thanks for listening in once again to Thinking Biblically About Things That Matter. My name is Steve Braun, I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church in Warsaw. And today we are starting a new series on gender. Um, that's, our, that's our new topic, and we're going to spend a few weeks um, thinking about this, trying to think about it biblically. There's a ton of confusion in the world around us about gender. So in this series, we want to grow an understanding of what the world around us is saying. We want to grow in our understanding of what the Bible says, and then we want to know how we should respond in light of all of this. So I'm going to say a couple of things here from the get-go. One, I am not an expert on this. Um, you know, the, the expert teacher is the one who teaches from the overflow, right? You, you really only get like the tip of the iceberg of what they actually know about the subject. Um, when I teach on something like gender, especially, um, especially what the world around us is saying, I am not an expert on this whatsoever. Um, you are not getting the tip of the iceberg. You're getting pretty much the whole iceberg. You know, I'm not, not an expert. Um, that being said, uh, I've, I have been blessed over the last few weeks to read a couple of great books on the subject, um, a, few, a few great books. Two of them are especially helpful um, that I'm going to allude to and, and glean from quite a bit throughout the series. Um, the, those books are Gender Ideology by Sharon James and Strange New World by Carl Truman. I strongly recommend both those books to you if you're interested in studying more on these topics. And um, I will also tell you, if you have questions or comments or feedback, um, as always, please reach out to me. Again, um, uh, these, these topics that I choose for this Thinking Biblically um, Sunday School class and podcast. Uh, these are topics that I want to grow in my understanding in. I want to, I want to become a better um, thinker about these topics. And so um, if you have questions or comments or feedback, um, I'd love to hear it. Um, so you can reach out to me. My email is pastorsteveron at gmail.com. So... Um, so let's. All that being said, all of that being said, let's um, let's dig in here uh, to this topic of gender. And what we're going to do today is we're going to we're going to open with three introductory questions. We we want to get a good handle um, of, of, on what the world around us is saying when it comes to the idea of gender. Um, and so. Uh, there's there's three questions, and then next week I'm going to have a couple more questions um, to answer, and and I think that this will give us a, a kind of a good handle on just where we are as a society, and then after that, after that we'll spend a week or two looking at what the Word of God says about gender and how the Word of God answers um, some of what's being said in our culture. So. So, our three introductory questions today. Uh, first one is, what is the difference between sex and gender? 
That's our first question. What is the difference between sex and gender? And so um, up until very recently, no one would have answered, um, you, you know, if, if someone is asked, what sex are you? And then they were asked, what gender are you? Um, up until very recently, no one would have answered those questions differently. If you, if, you know, you, you were a, uh, if, you're, if your sex was male, then your gender was male. And if your sex was female, your gender was female. Um, but things have changed over the last um, 10, 12, 14 years. Um, so, so those words have been used differently. Um, gender is actually um, historically a, a pretty new word. Um, in, the, in the 20th century, it was sort of popularized by sociologists and psychologists, and, and it had to do with gender roles, with the way a woman or with the way a man lived and dressed and worked and learned um, and behaved in, in, in usually what it, in different societies. Usually um, when people talked about gender roles, it was some sort of comparison thing. Like this is the way um, women live and, and work and learn and dress um, and all of those kinds of things. This is how they, they, they this, is, this, is the, this is how women um, act in this particular context or this particular nation or this particular era or something like that as compared to women of a different nation or ethnicity or era or something like that. So it was, it was, it was used sort of in that way. Um, the, the way people um, behave, work, learn, whatever. Um, it, was, it was more like gender roles. Um, and then sex has always been biological. What sex are you just refers to um, knowing what body parts you have, what chromosomes you have, what hormones you have. Th that's what makes you male or female. Um, but, but now the term gender um, has been, for lack of a, a better phrase for it, has been, has been hijacked by gender theorists. And we'll talk more about what gender theory is in a second. But, uh, but for now, we have to understand that the term gender has been hijacked by gender theorists. So the majority view now is not that your gender necessarily matches your sex. Sex is, is something definite and objective. Sex is the body that you have. But, but gender is different. Gender is much more psychological. It's, it's who you think you are in your own head. And it's paired with the word identity. So now we have gender identity, which implies that if your perceived gender, the, the gender that you feel about yourself, the, the, who you think you are in your mind, is different, if that gender identity is different than your biological sex, then your perceived gender is actually who you are. When we use the term gender identity, now it's, now it's not our sex, it's not our body that defines who we are, but it's who we feel we are in our mind. And so gender identity now um, is, is who we um, is who we perceive ourselves to be, um, and, it, and now that's talked about as if it's who we actually are, or who we truly are. We'll talk more about this in a, a few minutes, but, but first we just have to answer this first introductory question, what's the difference between sex and gender? It's important for us to understand that, uh, for instance, the vast majority of evangelicals believe that a person's sex matches their gender, and it must do so. 
but that's not the majority view anymore. So we have to understand um, that uh, when, when um, we have to kind of get a handle on what people mean when they use the word sex as opposed to the word gender or the phrase gender identity. So that's the first question. Question number two, what is gender dysphoria? What is gender dysphoria? So simply put, gender dysphoria means that a person is unhappy with their biological sex. Gender dysphoria simply means that a person is unhappy with their biological sex. Sharon James, in her book Gender Ideology, puts it this way, that they believe that they would be truly themselves if they were able to live as a member of the opposite sex, or in some cases, as neither male or female. This inner feeling is strong and persistent over time. It is sometimes described as feeling trapped in the wrong body. And so what we must understand right off the bat here is that gender dysphoria is a very real condition that happens to real people. Um, it can be very mild and very passing, or it could be on the other end of the spectrum, much more lasting and severe. It's also important to understand that up until 2013, gender dysphoria was considered a psychological disorder. There wasn't really a term um, in, the, the, in, the, um, in the official like psychological handbooks. Um, there wasn't really a term called gender dysphoria. It was labeled um, gender identity disorder. Um, so, and Sharon James says that you, you could lump this in with other conditions where, where someone's feelings contradict the physical reality of the, their body. She says people with anorexia have a strong mental conviction that their body is fat when it is not. That is a mental disorder. Or there are people who have a form of body dysmorphia where they are convinced that a feature is ugly and they engage in repeated plastic surgery to remedy a defect that only they perceive. There are others who have a fixed desire to amputate a healthy limb. In such cases, you are justified in offering help to try to enable the sufferer to, get, to gain a true perception of their body. So this is how the experts, the doctors, the professionals used to treat gender dysphoria. They worked hard to help people's minds line up with their bodies. They, help, they worked hard to help people, their, 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 their people's inner psychology, their, their inner, inner perception of who they are. They, they worked hard to help a person's to mind to line up with their body. All right? And so... And so for, I, I want to just say, and, and I want to make it clear, that gender dysphoria is a very real thing. Um, it's a very sad condition. It's a, it's a, it's a very real disorder. Um, and it's something that, I mean, if, if someone talks to you about suffering this way or experiencing this, um, it's not wise or helpful at all to, to treat them as if they're just making it up or something like that. Let's, let's be very careful to, to, to understand and to realize that perhaps just because we don't suffer with something like this doesn't mean that nobody does. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very real condition.
Um, and it's also important for us to understand right alongside with that, that, that up until just a few years ago, um, it was it was treated as if it was a, a disorder, and it was and it was a disorder something like anorexia, where you would where you 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 would work hard to help the person who is suffering with it to to realize um, to 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 gain a better perception of themselves, to to have their mind line up with what was actually true of their body. Um, but now, though, the way gender dysphoria is described and treated has changed dramatically. So now what the experts say is that gender dysphoria refers to, to the distress that may accompany the incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender and one's assigned gender. So, so the wording used to be that there was a psychological problem. Now the wording makes it seem like the problem is with either the body or the way other people assume that a person's body identifies them with a certain gender. So now it's not, it's not that the problem isn't that our, our thinking is, is distorted. Now the problem is that, that people... Um, have assigned us a gender based on what they see of our body. So, so, so there's something wrong here, but it's not that our thinking is distorted. The, the problem is that our body, our physical body, isn't true to who we truly are or people's perception of us when they look at us isn't true to who we truly are. So now the very strong trend in treatment is to, is to help someone's body or their lifestyle or, or other people's perception of them line up with their mind. Not, we used to try to get the mind to line up with what was true of the body. Now we're trying to get the body to realign with the thinking, with the mind. So this is an incredibly dramatic shift, and we'll talk about this as we go through this series, but it is incredibly, obviously an incredibly damaging shift as well. But what, finally, what we're going to do today is just, just see kind of what caused this dramatic and rapid shift. Because again, this is only, I mean, up until 2013, the, the common protocol, the, the common treatment was to try to get the person's mind to, to, to realign with the body. And, and, and even as late as 2011, the, 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 official, um, you know, the, the official codified wisdom was that you, you don't accept a patient's self-disclosure, self-identifying. You, 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 you wouldn't simply because someone thinks something very with, with strong conviction about themselves, you, you wouldn't base your understanding 
of them on that. You, you wouldn't accept their self-identification. And there's all kinds of all kinds of reasons for that. Um, but now that, at least with gender dysphoria, now that trend has completely shifted. What has caused the dramatic and rapid shift? So, something called gender theory. And that brings us to our third question. What is gender theory? So, quickest and easiest way to get our minds wrapped around gender theory is to visit Indonesia in 2006. Gen gender theory is best summed up in the Yogyakarta principles. Yogyakarta is a city in Indonesia where a really important meeting was held in 2006. And these, these Yogyakarta principles that were established at that meeting are foundational, Carl Truman says, in connecting LGBTQ plus rights to the concept of human rights in general. The organizations that met and drafted these principles had no official government status whatsoever. But these principles that these, that these human rights organizations met and drafted in Yogyakarta in 2006, these principles have been adopted and promoted by the UN, by the EU, and by many, many nations around the world. So what are these 29 Yogyakarta principles? Well, since there are 29 of them, um, you can feel free to Google them on your own time. I'm just going to sort of highlight them, if you can use the word highlight. Um, and so what we see in these Yogyakarta principles is we see gender theory sort of codified for the nations. Um, for instance, in the Yogyakarta principles, we read that sexual orientation refers to each person's capacity for profound emotional, affectional, and sexual attraction to and intimate and sexual relations with individuals of a different gender or the same gender or more than one gender. Um, and then they say that gender identity refers to each person's deeply felt internal and individual experience of gender, which may or may not correspond with the sex assigned at birth including the personal sense of the body, which may involve, if freely chosen, modification of bodily appearance or function by medical, surgical, or other means, and other expressions of gender, including dress, speech, and mannerisms. So that's how they describe sexual orientation, and that's how they, they describe gender, gender identity. And then they go on to say that all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights, Human beings of all sexual orientations and gender identities are entitled to the full enjoyment of all human rights. All human rights are universal, interdependent, indivisible, and interrelated. Everyone has the right to recognition, recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Persons of diverse sexual orientations and gender identities shall enjoy legal capacity in all aspects of life. Each person's self-defined sexual orientation and gender identity is integral to their personality and is one of the most basic aspects of self-determination, dignity, and freedom. No one shall be subjected to pressure to conceal, suppress, or deny their sexual orientation or gender identity. And then, and then again, if you, if you were to read all 29 of the Yogyakarta principles, you would see that they all carry along with the same kind of thought. 
And so, like I said earlier, these principles have been adopted and promoted by nations around the world for the last several years. So when Joe Biden signs his executive order called um, Preventing and Combating Discrimination on the Basis of Gender Identity or Sexual Orientation, um, which, which among other things in that executive order, um, opened up uh, public schools, um, restrooms, um, to people of the opposite biological sex. So, so, so in that executive order, it, it mandates that public school women's restrooms must be open for biological males. So, so that executive order, you can trace the wording of it right back to these Yogi Carter principles. These principles... Um, they're built on and they codify gender theory. Um, so, so if you're interested in what gender theory is and really how it took hold on an institutional level in nations around the world, you can look to the Yogi Carter principles. But then if you, if you want to sort of see gender theory as it is being taught to children around the country, you can look at a little cartoon figure that is being proliferated called the genderbred person. The genderbred person. The genderbred person is a spin-off of the ginger, gingerbread man. It's a, it's a take on the gingerbread man. It looks a lot like a gingerbread man might look. It's called the genderbred person. And this is, this is, a, this is a little um, visual aid that's being used to teach children gender theory. So it shows a cute little gingerbread looking diagram and it has has arrows pointing to the genderbread person's mind and that's their that's their gender identity. It's who you in your head feel yourself to be. As an arrow pointing to the person's like um um hands and feet and sort of a sort of a, a outward expression kind of thing. And it's called the person's gender expression. And that's how you present yourself to others. And then you have the person's sex. And so there's an arrow pointed to the, like the genitalia area. Um, and that's a, a person's sex is their genitalia, their chromosomes, their hormones, etc. And then there's an arrow pointing to the, the gender-bred person's heart. And that's a person's attraction, who you romantically or sexually attracted to. So a person, according to the gender-bred person, according to, according to gender theory, a person is, is they, they have their sexual, you know, they, they, have, their, they have their sex, they have their, sex, their biological makeup, right? Their, their body, who they are biologically, but then they also have their, their gender identity, which is who they think they are in their mind, and then they have their, their gender expression, which is how they present themselves to other people, and then they have their attraction, um, who they are, romantically or sexually attracted to. So the gender-bred person influences children the same way the Yogi Carter principles influenced world leaders. The gender-bred person is a very common tool, um, and I, I can't resist the lame joke, you just have to forgive me, uh, but there are a lot of lies baked into the gender-bred person. And I'm not going to take the time to look at all of these lies, but I just want to look at one of them as we close. And the, the lie is simply this, biology doesn't matter. That's what the gender-bred person, that's what the Yogi Carter principles would try to teach you. 
biology doesn't matter. A person can identify as any gender, no matter what their body says. A person can identify as any gender. Facebook, I think, offers 56 options, although it could be more than that now. I'm not positive. And, and biology doesn't matter in, in who you're attracted to. You could be attracted to anybody. It doesn't matter. Your biology doesn't matter. You have to live in a way that's true to what you feel in your mind and in your heart. And your biological makeup has no bearing on your actual identity or how you should express yourself or who you should be attracted to. That is the lie of the gender-bred person. Biology doesn't matter. And that lie is so absurd that it's actually a little bit difficult to even know how to combat it. I'm going to give it a whirl just here real quick. Here's one way to combat the lie that... And again, I'm not even talking here about what the Bible has to say. Of course, everything I'm saying is dramatically informed. My, my response to all of this, I should say, my response to everything that I read about the way the world thinks about gender is informed by the Word of God, of course. But I'm just spending this week and next week, I, I, what I want, really want to do is just kind of point out how, how sad and how tragic and how goofy um, the world's conception of gender has become. I, I simply want to say there has to be something better than this. I, I, that's all I want to do. Over the first couple of weeks, I want, to just, I want to just lead us to a point where we realize there has to be something better than this. There has to be something better than this understanding. And then we'll turn to the Word of God and we will see that there is indeed something much, much better than the world's conception of gender. And so here's, here's a way, without even really opening up the Bible and, and giving a chapter and verse, here's a way to say the idea that biology doesn't matter is a lie. Here it is. Women have periods. Women have babies. And this is because women are different than men. Women, from the moment of conception, have a pair of XX chromosomes. Men, from the moment of conception, have XY chromosomes. It does not matter what you do to a man's body, and there is a lot. Because of modern technology, there is a lot you can do to change a man's body. There's a lot you can do. There are many body parts you can add and many body parts you can subtract. There is a lot you can do. But no matter what you do, he is still going to have XY chromosomes, and a woman will always have XX chromosomes. And no matter what you do to him, a man cannot get pregnant. And they have tried. It does not work. A man cannot have a period. He can have female body parts. But he cannot get pregnant. He cannot have a period. And those two things, periods and pregnancies, have fundamentally shaped who women are. The, the, I mean, you cannot read history. I mean, the, the, the physical, historical, political, financial history of women is radically defined by those two things. And this is why, again, I, I, there, there are many things that, I, that, if, that if I was, if I was um, discussing life with a feminist, 
there are many things we would disagree about. Um, but, but oftentimes, when feminists are talking about um, gender theory, oftentimes I agree with them. Be, be, because one of the things they want to point out is that just because in your mind uh, you have decided that you are a woman, and that's how you want to identify yourself is as a woman, just because you've done that in your mind, and even if you've had some surgeries to have your body look more like what you feel your, your mind says you are, just because you've done that doesn't mean you have any idea what it is to be a woman. It doesn't mean you have any idea what it is to be a woman. And that's because biology matters. Our biology tells us who we are. Our genitalia, our chromosomes, our hormones, they tell us who we are. Are. All right. So far, we tried to answer the question what is the difference between sex and gender? What is gender dysphoria? And what is gender theory? And we've started with these questions because we want to get a handle on what the world around us is saying. And so next week, my plan is um, to, to um, answer the question what, what led up? to the Yogyakarta principles? What, what led up to gender theory? What led up to the gender-bred person? So that first question is, what, what are some philosophies that have been in play for generations that have led up to this moment? And then also what I want to do is I want to look at what causes gender dysphoria? And so that first question is pretty big. It's pretty broad. It's pretty like uh, historical, like over looking over the last couple hundred years. And so that first question is pretty big. What led up to gender theory? Yogyakarta, gender-bred man, or gender-bred person. What, what led up to that? And then the other question is more narrow, and it's more, um, it's very modern. What's going on in the world around us that is causing this great uptick in gender dysphoria? So that's what we're going to do um, next week. Until then, thanks for listening.